Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're going to give this a go today here on Birds 365. We did yesterday, too, and we got about 14 or 15 minutes of broadcast uh, tremendousness on the air before Comcast said, no, 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 you guys really don't even do Birds 365. We plan on staying the full two hours for you guys. I would be Jody McDonald. You see in the Philly red shirt, I thought this was Birds 365. That's all right. We like the Phillies, too. Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports. And his smiling face, although it's not live, is John McMullen because he's got COVID testing duties to do. So you get a triumvirate of Eagle experts to start the show. Jeff Kerr, good to see you. How was your weekend? Uh, like you, Jody, I was at a wedding. It wasn't as nice as Key West, but D.C. was very peaceful. It was a great wedding. Got to see my college roommate get married. A lot of fun. Um, you know, we, we bragged about that. We should have been at the beach, but. Hey, you know what? We'll, we'll take DC for a weekend. It DC worked. was peaceful. You don't always get a chance to say that. I'm glad it worked that way, that way for you. All right, John McMullen will be with us for the first half hour of the show. Then he's got to go in and get something stuck up his nose uh, to find out <laughs> he's okay. Uh, Jay Mack. By the uh, way, I want to say, can I say, is, is that an ode to Nick Sirianni? I think Nick Sirianni won Phillies yesterday, Jeff. He I did. Think he won Phillies. Oh, go that Phillies. was Monday. Sorry. Yeah. Last time Nick Sirianni spoke, he did go Phillies. Yeah, he went Phillies. Uh, not the first time Nick Sirianni went sucking up for something other than water to <laughs> water right. his plants. But... That's what I was going for, Jeff. Yeah, well I, done. I picked up on it. Um, J-Mac, uh, heading off, I know you got the COVID testing and the like, but you were there yesterday as well for the coordinator, Jonathan Gannon. I got to say, I liked what he had to say. There were some guys coming at him pretty good, yourself included, with questions yesterday, and he rolled with the punches as best he could. But I don't know why, but he was channeling Andy Reid for me because he seemed to take the bullets for absolutely everybody. Again, he defended up Derek Barnett. You know, I got a mad on for Derek Barnett because I think he stinks and is stealing money these days. He went to bat and defended him and saying he's getting the job done. I just didn't understand it. Uh, when you gathered with your guys or at least exchanged some notes as you're walking out after talking to Jonathan and Gannon yesterday, what was the feel among the Eagle beat guys as to Jonathan Gannon, both what his team is doing on the field and how he's handling the questions he asked to answer about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think much changed other than I think that was the first time uh, I've seen an Eagles assistant uh, or any Eagles coach, coordinator, the head coach, with the exception of Nick Sirianni going the Jeff Kerr route and going Phillies, Sixers, Flyers. It's the first time nobody wore somebody didn't wear Eagles gear, so you had the conspiracy theorist. 
what's going on? Uh, but no, I, I mean, that's Jonathan. You talked about taking hits, Andy Reid. I mean, this is the guy who said Ryan Kerrigan was productive a couple weeks ago. They, he's not, he's not going to bury his players. That's not his philosophy. Um, he was typically his optimistic self. I mean, I, I thought it was, you know, I was trying to, I, I'm trying to figure out this disconnect of why the heck everybody's completing 80% of their passes, or at least all the good quarterbacks and Derek Carr over 90%. And you're trying to get a thought process on that. And part of it is, you know, the most important part to him is limiting explosive plays. And he said that again, you know, the quickest way to get beat is, for the ball to go over your head. Um, so that's his core philosophy. Um, and then you start to say, okay, well, still, I mean, other people have played a lot of cover too and not given up 90% completion rates or 85% or 80. And, and then you start to hear the, the, you know, people are getting the ball out quickly because of uh, our defensive line. And maybe that's the case, but this defensive line has not played well. So maybe that's the rest of the league reacting to the reputation, because I think we all came into this season saying, all right, the defensive line is going to be a strength of the Eagles. And probably the rest of the league thought that as well. And they're like, we got to get the ball out quickly. Well, if anybody watches the film, you don't need to get the ball out quickly because they're not doing their job. And I've said that pretty consistently for about two weeks now. Uh, now, part of that is Brandon Graham not being there. And he's, uh, I think, you know, maybe the most underrated professional sports figure in Philadelphia over the last decade plus. People don't realize how good that guy is. And now they're starting to realize it. Um, so part of it is that. But they, I, I mean, you got to perform better if you're Fletcher Cox, if you're uh, Josh Sweat, if you're. Jody's favorite, Derek Barnett, and yes, even Javon Hargrave, who had a good month, but if people haven't noticed, he's not having a good second month. So um, I, I think you were the plan was to lean on that defensive front because of the deficiencies you have on the back end. Well, that, that front, you can't lean on him right now, and that to me is the biggest issue. John, did Jonathan Gannon address the struggles of the defensive line yesterday? And, you know, if he was asked, what was his response? No, well, again, Jonathan isn't going to say so-and-so is playing poorly. Uh, I mean, and, and, and by the way, for people who criticize him for that, I think they'd criticize him even more if he did do that. And I, I don't know of any coach that does do that. Occasionally, you know, you'll get a more gruff uh, coordinator or head coach that'll say something like, uh, we got to play better or so-and-so's got to play better. But that's as far as it goes. I mean, that does no good. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about it yesterday, and here's here's how I phrase it. The Eagles' best linebacker this year, uh, and he's, you know, emerged to the top of the depth chart is T.J. Edwards, and he's done – uh, a really nice job for what was expected of T.J. Edwards. Um, that's how I would describe it. I, if you look at the 31 other teams around the NFL, and this is probably a better question for you, uh, Jeff, because you spend more time doing league stuff than I do these days. I don't know many teams that don't have a linebacker better than T.J. Edwards in this league. 
Uh, nothing against DJ Edwards. Then I go back to safety. You know, the best safety the Eagles have had this year has been Marcus Epps. Marcus Epps. Yeah. He's, he's not even a starter at this point. Probably should be uh, because he deserves to be. But again, I, I use that same phrase. Go around to the 31 other teams. Who doesn't have a safety, at least one safety better than Marcus Epps? That's what you're dealing with with the personnel deficiencies on the back end. Detroit's better secondary than the Eagles. <laughs> I didn't hear what you say, Jeff. Uh, sorry. Oh, oh Detroit is a better um, safety group than the Eagles with Tracy. That's, oof, that's scary if that's true. Yeah. All right. Um, John, I, I hear what you say about coaches just don't point to players and go, he's not good enough. He's not getting it done. It's standard operating procedure across the league. Some go further in defending him than others. Like I said, Andy Reid just comes to mind. Never, ever, ever, ever threw a guy under the bus all the time he was here. Um, so if you can't say anything, then the only way to show a player that they're not getting the job done is playing time, that you don't use them as much as maybe you once did. Yet I look down and Derek Barnett is the second most snap-used guy on the Eagles in a game against the Chargers on uh, Sunday. So you're not going to call him out. As a matter of fact, someone brought his name specifically up, and he defended him to a link that I didn't think was possible. And then he continues to use him, more so than any other defensive end. The only guy who played more snaps on the D-line was Fletcher Cox. How does it get to Derek Barnett that he stinks? Does he have to watch Birds 365 and listen to me berate him? Because it sure as heck isn't coming from his coaching staff. Well, again, I would ask, you know, because if you've seen, and I'll use the back end as an example again, well, T.J. Edwards, uh, you know, wasn't the full-time linebacker at the start of the season. Uh, he's playing because somebody got benched and somebody got cut. Um, Marcus Epps uh, is playing more because he's playing winning football, as Jonathan Gannon stated. At the beginning of the season, um, he was behind Kayvon Wallace, who I don't even think had a snap. So there are adjustments being made as far as playing time. I would say, you know, if Brandon Graham was healthy, I, I would say that's a more legitimate uh, uh, criticism. Uh, for now, you got to play Barnett and Sweat at defensive end. And uh, you could, I mean, technically, you could play Teron Jackson, I suppose. You could play more Ryan Kerrigan, I suppose. I think in that instance, it's only getting worse. So I think when you have another option, that lever is being pulled. And when you don't, that lever isn't being pulled. And that's why I look at those four guys and I'm adding Josh Sweat and Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave. They got, they got to be to, to, to bring Jim Schwartz back to town. They got to be, be the engine of this defense. And that engine um, hasn't been brought into Jippy Lube because it is not performing at an optimal level to say the least. John, I know the Jets claimed, um, well, I shouldn't say they claimed, they signed Elijah Riley from the Eagles practice squad yesterday. And I know they liked him from that last preseason game. Uh, do the Eagles feel like this is a major law? I, I shouldn't even go major laws because they do like Elijah Riley, but was this a guy that the Eagles were even thinking of promoting at any point this season? 
No, I mean, not not barring injury to someone we talked about. I mean, uh, Rodney McLeod, Anthony Harris are there. We've been talking about Marcus Epps, how well he's played. They still have Kayvon Wallace. So, I mean, that's the thing. The Eagles have been on the verge of losing practice squad players before, and they'll when that comes up, uh, they'll elevate them to the roster. Um, in this particular case, there was – you know, no spot, so to speak, for Elijah Riley. He made the right decision for him. The Jets lost Marcus May to a, a torn Achilles, so they needed a, a, a safety, and he'll get a better opportunity. So I think, you know, that works out well for Elijah. But, um, no, I mean, if the Eagles wanted to keep him, they would have um, created a 53-man roster spot because they have 77 corners, so they could have. <laughs> They could have done it uh, easily if they wanted to, but uh, they like their young safeties. And you can debate that uh, as far as who's better. But, yeah, I mean, there's so many issues with this defense. I don't think Elijah Riley is going to make the difference. Sorry, Jody. That's Jets okay. Um, <laughs> my Jets are what they are. And that was <laughs> one of the lowlights of the uh, weekend away I had screaming and yelling in a tiki bar, <laughs> getting their tails kicked by Carson Wentz. But we're off the birds. I need to get back. Um, all right, JM, uh, you much like Jonathan Gannon, uh, spent some quality time in Minnesota, now more years removed here in Philadelphia than JG. Um, but certainly his fingerprints are still noticed going from Minnesota to Philadelphia. Have you scoured the Viking roster yet as to what guys are going to be free agents who the Eagles are going to sign during this offseason who will be woefully underperformers when they get here to Philadelphia? Well, no, the Vikings are having a ton of issues themselves, and I think, you know, we're seeing the death throes of the Mike Zimmer Era, but uh, you know, as much criticism as as Mike Zimmer gets as a head coach, um, and all deservedly so, I would you know he coaches games like it's 1975, and you see they're in every game, and they find a new way to lose basically every week because he doesn't try to win games; he coaches not to lose them. So I, I say that for the reason that. Yeah, he's not a good head coach, uh, certainly in this era of football, but he's a really, really good defensive mind. And I I say, you know, if you talk to people around this league, the two names that come up the most to me, and Jeff, you can chime in on this, is always Zimmer. When it comes to defense, it's always Zimmer and a guy the Eagles are playing this week, Vic Fangio, who I also think isn't uh, a great head coach, but he's a great great defensive mind and that's one of the reasons you know people criticize me for uh protecting what was i doing uh mon- uh when you weren't here jeff when jody wasn't here i was accused of protecting jonathan gannon uh, i don't um, think you were protecting him on monday yeah i i i i'm you know when guys like zimmer and 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 fangio swear by the guy and brandon staley throw him on that as well I mean, yeah, that holds some weight with me. Uh, doesn't mean you can overcome personnel issues. I, I'll tell you what, I would love to see this defense with, if they had a linebacker like Anthony Barr uh, or Eric Kendricks or a safety like Harrison Smith, I think it would look a lot different. 
I can't prove that, but I think it would look, look a lot different. How would Kareem Jackson look in Midnight Green right now? Yeah, I, I, a, lot, a lot of players would look. I mean, Justin Simmons this week is, is you know, what Darius Leonard I talked about because of Indy. I mean, these are the types of players the Eagles don't have, and they enable you to do a lot of different things because of their ability. You, you, you know, Gannon went off about pre-snap disguise, and, I, you know, I just – he didn't say the name, but you knew who he was talking about. He was talking about Harrison Smith because anybody who's ever watched him play, he'll go down into the box. He'll scream out of the box to get back to, to playing uh, cover two or single one. Uh, all these different things to throw a quarterback out of whack. The Eagles can't do that. They can't do that because they don't have that type of player. All right, uh, JM, let me ask you about – changes ongoing while the game is going on. Um, I think it was Howard brought this up about the Eagles uh, deciding to change their defense on the fly, uh, audibling out, call it what you want, checking out for specific calls as the play is just about to take off because they don't like the matchup of what the offensive team has come out with the formation they're using, the set that they're using. Who's making those on-air changes, uh, those on-field changes? Who's the guy who's calling them out of certain blitzes or attempting to get them in the blitzes at the very last second? Who is their defensive captain if they're overriding what Jonathan Gannon wants to happen on a particular play? Yeah, well, that's one of the issues as well because they haven't, you know, people think traditionally the Mike linebacker. Now, a lot of days in today's NFL, it's really the, the free safety uh, who who does stuff like that. And and the Eagles have had a mismatch of, of, of Eric Wilson, who's not even here anymore, Alex Singleton. Now it's T.J. Edwards, a linebacker. Um, and, and safety, you know, it was Anthony Harris, and then Rodney comes back, and it's Rodney. Um, so that's one of the issues as well. They haven't set, had somebody that they can – be the quarterback of the defense hopefully that calms down now that tj edwards is basically i think he was on the field for 66 of 68 snaps and rodney was out there for 68 so those are the two guys you have to count on i i would hope they would go to tj edwards he's a very smart player uh high football iq and if he's going to be out there he should be the guy doing that John, how did you feel uh, Zach McPherson played on Sunday for the little bit he was in? Uh, it was it was fun. I, in fact, I was a little surprised. We talked about I, I as soon as I saw um, Slay had to leave, I said, "Uh oh, here we go. They're just going to pick on uh, twenty seven, which sounds weird, by the way, because that's Malcolm Jenkins' number." Um, and they didn't. And you know, a lot of it was obviously the Eagles played a lot of zone in the second half. Um, and that, I think, helped as well. Uh, I So overall, I thought he was fine, but I don't know if he was fine because they were, you know, masking, hiding those uh, deficiencies. But certainly the Chargers didn't take advantage of the fact that he was on the field. And that 
that part surprised me a little bit from uh, the Chargers' perspective. But nobody complains about stuff like that when you win. They only complain. Uh, the Chargers would have heard about that if they would have lost that game and said, why aren't you attacking the rookie corner who hasn't played? I, I will say that, you know, the Eagles have 75 different rookie corners now after they acquired Tay Gallon and Kerry Vincent, and most of them were um, inactive, and they finally waived Mac McCain, which was my prediction. That'll be Jordan Howard's spot. Um, they haven't wanted Zach McPherson on the field, so that to me is is a bigger red flag than um, him playing zone covers. But against the Chargers, he was fine, and there was no overt grand mistakes. Now, part of it is Slay and Nelson and Maddox have been the strength of this defense. Think about that for a second, but that's that's been the case. Twofold. Um, defensive back question for you. Number one, would you recognize Mac McCain now that he's gone? He would not. <laughs> no, uh, it, I, I'm so disappointed because I no, I wouldn't. I did. I did see a picture. Somebody Getty Images might, must have gotten a picture of him at one point because I saw somebody had a picture of him. He did get his number right Monday, Jody. Uh, above and beyond Mac McCain, that's impressive. Uh, my other uh, DB question is. How does Kayvon Wallace not get one defensive snap when as many DBs went down in the game on Sunday? And I know he's a safety and they needed corners, but they asked their safeties to cover because they're in zone as often as they are. What went wrong? Is he still partially injured? Not 100%. Have they changed their opinion on him? At one point this year, it looked like he was going to be a starting safety for the Eagles. Now they're playing a game where guys are dropping like flies in the secondary, and he can't get one defensive snap. What has happened to their opinion of Kayvon Wallace? Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about before when you said, why is Derek Barnett playing? And why, you know, Derek Barnett's playing because he has to. Kayvon Wallace isn't playing because he got beat out by Marcus Epps. He's just a better player. Um, and that's why he's not playing. Um you know, Kayvon's one of those guys. I, I don't know. It's weird. Philadelphia's weird with certain guys. They latch on to certain guys. I call it skipping steps. Um, I think Kayvon's one of those guys. For some reason, I don't know if it's personality. I don't know. They they thought he was going to be a starting safety. I mean, he's he has not played well when he had the opportunities. And, and Marcus Epps just lapped him. And... You know, that's an example of where this coaching staff and T.J. Edwards would be the other example. Um, they're better, so they're playing. That's that's what it comes down to. Well, I think I might have an answer to the Kayvon Wallace thing. They see safety Please. from Clemson, and they think, oh, the last safety from Clemson Eagles draft is in the Hall of Fame. So, there you go. Yeah, there, yeah, like naturally, it. you know, Kayvon Wallace is going to be in the Hall Hall of Fame, and why isn't he playing? <laughs> I, I digress. Um, that, that 20, uh, 20 draft class, Johnson, Jody brought up Kayvon Wallace. It's really not looking good right now when you look at Rager, when you look at um, you know, Dave Young. Uh, I, I mean, Jalen Hurts is probably the best pick, and he wasn't even supposed to start this year, So, at, at least when he was drafted. So, I mean, what's your quick evaluation of that this draft class right now? 
Well, yeah, I mean, the Jalen Rager pick, I, I just, that's going to haunt them for years. I mean, he, he is not effective as a wide receiver at all. And you could see him pressing. You know, he finally got the football once and he's trying to make a play out of nothing. And I think he loses uh, six yards. And then you have the obvious comp with Jefferson, who's uh, a really good player. Um, yeah, that one's going to, and, and then you got to double down, remember, because Rager's such an overt boss so early in his career, you got to double down and take another receiver in the next year. Who's going to work out. I mean, Devontae Smith is going to be a really good player, but still, if, if Jalen Rager, if you're right on him, you could go in a different direction, fill a different hole and you don't feel that necessity uh, to draft a wide receiver again. So there's so many reverberations to that failed pick. And, you know, everybody's, I, I always call it that Spider-Man meme. If you see Spider-Man pointing at himself, that's that's what the Eagles and the old coaching staff and the person, everybody's running away from Jalen Rager like he's a burning fire. Oh, I didn't want this guy. They wanted this guy. Oh, no, this guy won. I mean, poor Jalen Rager. But at the end of the day, I mean, and, and why is he even playing at all at this point? You talk, we're talking so much about the defense. I mean, yeah, Quez Watkins has now officially uh, replaced him as, as the so-called, you know, wide receiver too. Right. But you need three wide receivers. The Eagles haven't needed it as much in recent weeks because they played the Raiders and the Lions and, and, and the Chargers, who coincidentally are all bottom five run support teams on defense. So they've shifted their offense almost completely to be so run heavy. Well, that's going to change or it should change moving forward when you stop playing every single team in the NFL that can't stop the run. At some point, you're going to find a team that can stop the run. And in theory, you want receivers on the field. The problem is, same as we talked about with defensive end. Well, who are you going to play? J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Greg Ward. You got nobody else. So they put so many assets into the wide receiver position, and all they got to show for it is Devontae Smith, who's great, but J.J.'s a second-round pick, Jalen's a first-round pick, and they're getting nothing from those guys. J-Mac, they uh, made John Hightower one of their protected uh, squad players this week. You're right. The wide receiver position hasn't been used much. Yes, they've run the ball effectively the last two weeks. Yes, it's going to be that much tougher against a Vic Fangio defense this upcoming week and then a Saints defense, which has been one of the better ones in the league all year long. So it's going to get more difficult to run the football. They're going to be smart enough and good enough to watch the team and go, oh, we got to take the running game away from the Eagles and put an extra guy into the box. So, yes, the Eagles are going to need someone other than Devontae Smith to step up a wide receiver. Is there any chance the return of John Hightower? Uh, oh, boy. I, I think it speaks volumes that uh, John Hightower isn't on this 53-man roster and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is and Greg Ward is. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, he, he was elevated last week, uh, didn't play much, obviously, made a bad decision on a kickoff return. 
got an opportunity there, back the Eagles up from that standpoint. So, no, I mean, you know, it's not as glaring. Um, you know, John was a fifth-round pick and, and Quez Watkins was a sixth-round pick. So you're just taking swings at that point. And, you know, looks like you've got at least – an overachiever as far as where he was drafted in Quez Watkins. I don't know. I still don't think he's a great receiver. He's just the second best receiver on this team. And uh, no, I mean, that's, you know, that's where the criticism should be pointed at Howie Roseman and the personnel department and the assets that they poured into the wide receiver position have not, um, reaped enough of back in return and that's why they were back in the top 10 this year and they had to take a wide receiver i mean there's no as good as Devonte smith is and he had his best game as a pro i think and as i said i think he's going to be a star in this league especially when the eagles get a a more of a uh a, as i call it the high volume passer who can get the football down the field consistently i think he's going to have really big numbers he's always open he's going to drop the football occasionally it seems like that's you know if you look at jamar chase if you look at cd lamb that's sort of like the give and take you give it the modern receiver like they're going to drop one occasionally but they're going to make so many big plays it doesn't matter i think Devontae smith is going to be that guy but the indictment of having to take another receiver in the top 10 after all the assets you poured into the position, that might be the biggest indictment of this organization of, of it all. Now, John, if we want to, they might have to triple dip here. I mean, they, their receiver positions pan up. Do you go another receiver early next year, or do you try to get a veteran in there just to improve this? I try to get a veteran. I was screaming for a veteran all, all summer, and I think it would have helped. Um, just just somebody, you know, who's competent, knows how to line up, um, can move the chains. They don't need a superstar. I think they have a, a burgeoning superstar now uh, at the wide receiver position. So they just got to fix the other parts of it. Obviously, Nick Sirianni wants to play 11 personnel if he had his druthers uh, most of the time. So, yeah, you need... And he doesn't like to talk about X uh, and Y and, and, and slot and, and flex and, you know, says everybody plays everywhere. But that's not realistic when you get into the game. So you, you want a slot receiver and you want a, uh, a, an out, another outside receiver uh, to complement um, Devontae Smith. But uh, you can get that in a lot of different ways and you can go on the free agent market. Um, and Quez Watkins can continue to develop, um, hopefully. But, yeah, it's still not a finished product, that's for sure. All right, J.M., I want to get one league-wide question in with you. I know we were going to talk about this yesterday before Comcast kind of pulled the plug on Birds 365. Um, Who knew Jonathan Gannon had stock and Xfinity Internet service? He, he might very well. They're protecting him. They're hey, protected. If if he can take down the internet, it'd be nice if he could take down another team's opposing offense. But we'll see if he can actually <laughs> get that done. Um, 
No, I was referencing the uh, Monday night game, which was so hard to watch. Every single play was a penalty in the second half of that game. It was mind-numbingly bad to watch. And there was actually some competitive football going on. It comes down to kicks right at the end. Should have been a great game. to. It was a terrible game to watch because of all the flags, including the massive taunting, uh, taunting call, which was equally as bad as the awful taunting call that the Eagles got against the Bucks several weeks ago. Uh, you and I are on the same page. The game is way over-legislated. The referees are getting way more involved than they should be for the enjoyment of uh, the National Football League fan. Um, but they have before had these points of emphasis that they go heavy on in preseason, and then they kind of back it up a little. They don't announce that they're backing it up, but you just tell by the calls or lack thereof that they've had internal discussions that maybe we overstepped our boundaries. Are they going to do that with this taunting mess? Because there have been two outrageously bad calls that I saw. Uh, the Eagle one that I referenced against Leonard Fournette, which was a joke. And then what happened in the game between the Bears and the Raiders? The guy just looked at the sideline. He <laughs> made a play and looked at the sideline yeah. and by accident bumped into the ref getting off the field, which some people were suggesting yesterday nationally. The ref hip checked the player that he was looking to cause the contact so he could throw his flag. Yeah. It was a joke. Well, you had that video of Tony Corrente, so it looked bad, but. I always say, you know me, Jody, I don't blame officials. I blame the legislation. People people are not – I, I compare it to, to play calling when people criticize play calling. They're not really criticizing play calling. They're criticizing results. They're not really criticizing referees. They're criticizing the rule. The referees are, are doing what they're told for the most part. They're not perfect, but it's a very difficult job. And by the way, I give – Nick Sirianni credit, he always defaults to that. I don't like blaming officials. I never blame officials. Uh, so I think more of the problem is what you said is the over-legislation of the game. It's ironic to me that the NFL through, um, you know, source said, no, that's exactly what we're trying to, they doubled down. That's exactly what we're trying to move from the game, remove from the game. I, I, I you know, you bring up the end of that game. I think that's the crutch of the NFL. It seems exciting. You got the great throw from Justin Fields. You're going back and forth. The Steelers go down and score again. You got the seesaw, the close game at the very end. And a lot of fans think it's exciting and forget about the god-awful 55 minutes of football. They had to get to that point when things started to get exciting. I, I've talked to so many people at the league office, and they don't realize this is a problem. They don't realize this is a problem that this sport is. What do you mean? I've I've had that when I say, "Do you think this sport is overlaid?" I'll use John Runyon because he's one I can put on the record, but people off the record. Uh, do you realize this league is overlegislated? And they'll ask. They'll say, "What do you mean overlegislated?" They don't even realize it because nobody changes the channel. So from their perspective, it's so popular. They don't even look in the mirror, self-scout, whatever you want to say. Are we affecting this game? Are we making this game worse? And they are. Uh, and then the second part you said, Jody, 
sometimes this league thinks they're the Supreme Court. You know, well, we set this precedent. We can't change it. You can change it anytime you want. You could go in there today and say, you know what? This ain't working. Let's change it. This is no precedent. It's an awful rule. Sit the officials down. Say it's an awful rule. We made a mistake. There's a hundred, by the way, there are a hundred awful rules they can do the same thing with. But they act, oh, precedent. Oh, competitive advantage. And then ironically, what proves that's a crocky you-know-what is COVID. Because they don't give a you-know-what about competitive advantage. And they prove that during the whole COVID era where, hey, you're out of luck. Your quarterback thinks he's immunized. You're out of luck. Denver, your whole quarterback room is down. You're out of luck. Um, That happened last year, as people remember. I I don't know. I don't know. Well, I do know. This league is so popular, they don't care because you're not changing the channel. And by you're not, I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about fans. They're not changing the channel. And they accept it. So this is what they get. Yeah, and another key point is we at CBS, we talk about this on a Tuesday morning, on a Wednesday morning, and you get the BS pool reports. So, you know, honestly, John, I wouldn't mind this if an official, if the league would make that official, Tony Corrente, stand up on that podium, you know, before Mike Tomlin, before anybody else, and just give an explanation, but they'll never do it. Well, and, and I will say this, you know, because I think that was a horrible call and but Tony Corrente didn't make that rule. He's not oh, he responsible did. for that. No, he did, but, uh, yeah, but I, hold I, on, hold on, hold on. Let, let me ask both you guys, you league wide guys. If Tony Corrente doesn't make that call, are you telling me somebody from the, uh, the Roger Goodell or any of his underlings is going to call Tony Corrente and go, How did you not throw the flag for tanking? Do you really believe that that would have happened? No, no. no. No, they might have. And Tony Corrente made the call. John, you were giving the referees the pass. They're just taking directions. No, Tony Corrente, with the overall understanding of what the league is attempting to do, he made that call himself that I'm throwing the flag right here, right now. Because the guy looked at the other sideline, 40 yards away. The main reason they're trying to take taunting out is they fear that it could lead to violence. There was no chance at violence. So that's a bad call by that referee. But this is if uh, here's where you and I uh, go down different paths, Cody. I agree with you. They might have graded him down, whatever, a tick, but they wouldn't have said anything publicly. They had an opportunity. Now, granted, obviously, it's unnamed sources, but you see the same national writers pointing the same thing. So we all know who that is, Jeff, uh, pointing out the information. Uh, they doubled down. They said, no, that's exactly what we're trying to take out of the game. So they're not only saying uh, Tony Correnti was right. They're doubling down on the fact that he was right. That's where I say that's what they want. Now, it, uh, your your point is well taken. If he didn't put the flag in, in, in if he didn't take the flag out of his pocket, it wouldn't matter. They weren't, they weren't going to criticize him. They weren't going. To, oh, you should have, you should have flagged Cassius Marsh. So ultimately, it doesn't matter. But the fact that they doubled down and said, "This is exactly what we're trying to take out of the game," that tells, that tells me it's a league problem. It's not a Tony Corrente problem. That's that's 
my framing of it. I would say it's both, but that's okay because you're right. When they when they backed Cody's call, they said, yeah, he was just doing as he was uh, schooled to do, but he did do it on his own. So shame on both of them. And yes, popularity gets pomposity because the NFL is just going to continue to go, uh, change our game? Yeah, no, that's not happening with us. Uh, Johnny Mac, though, you got to go get a COVID test. Thank you very much for hopping on. I'll get back with you again tomorrow morning at the top of the show. Uh, have a good day. And who, who are you talking to? to uh, anybody other than the doctor? You got any uh, players? Uh, Wednesday. So it's uh, Nick Sirianni Wednesday. All the TV people there. So you'll see a lot of screaming and shouting, wrangling to try to get questions in. Then it's usually Darius Slay kicks off player availability. Darius okay. always. But he's injured, so maybe not. So that'll right. be interesting. See, oh, now i got to ask you one more question. I brought up Darius Slay. Is Darius the guy? Who's actually going to? Because we've had uh, Fletcher Cox several weeks ago say, yeah, I don't play coverage on screenplays. Uh, this past week, uh, Javon uh, Hargrave said, yeah, I'm not the defensive coordinator when asked about should they be blitzing more. Will Darius Slay be the guy who kind of throws Jonathan Gannon under the bus, who refuses to throw anyone under the bus, but a couple of players have thrown him under the bus. Will he be the guy who say, yeah, we should play more, man. Yeah, I can play uh, bump and run coverage. Uh, don't look at me. Go ask the defensive coordinator. Will Darius Slay go there today? No, nah, I don't. I, Slay is too smart. I mean, he'll say some. He'll say some goofy things. And and uh, he's got a hamstring injury, so I don't even know if he's going to talk. But uh, typically leads off Wednesday. But now he's a veteran guy. He's already been asked that question. He's already answered uh, because he's a press coverage guy and he's had to play so much zone. But he's also playing well, so that that helps. And I, I do because Fletcher, um, uh, I I do think that has been framed wrong with Fletcher. He said I don't get paid to play screens because for years he was one of the best defensive tackles in football playing the screen. I mean, he just had that natural innate ability to know when it was happening and peel off and get the guy. All he said was, I don't get paid to play screens, meaning I get paid to get the quarterback. Obviously, he gets paid to do everything, but he's always been a really good player against screens. So I just want to get that out there. All right, fair enough. Uh, take Fletcher back. Uh, you get any snacks this <laughs> I'm week? I'm protecting no. Fletcher Cox. Now you're protecting Fletcher Cox. Who, yeah. Oh, by the way, because Hargrave is getting more uh, double teams, Fletcher's not getting them. They, he can't double team both of the tackles. One of the two of them's got to get a sack this week. Yeah, they're you? both. Oh, uh, well, well, you can with the, with the inefficiency of Derek Barnett. You, move, you most certainly can. Uh, you got a point there. All right. Uh, thanks, J-Mac. Uh, good testing. Hopefully you come back with nothing, uh, significant out of your nose. <laughs> yeah. It's always, you know, Jimmy Kemsky has that nightmare too. Something comes out on the Q-tip. Oh, you got to make sure you're, you're clean and ready to go. <laughs> that is John McMullen here with us on Birds 365. All right. Jeff Kerr and I are coming back. We've got a good guest coming up in hour number two. We'll get our boy BLG. Brennan Lee Gouton of Bleeding Green Nation up. But I still have more questions for Jeff Kerr right here on Birds 365.
At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Metson Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Basketball is part of how we grew up in this city. And every morning, IBEW Local 98 members take their best shot building this city, rescuing our community from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are, like the Hawks who will never die. Local 98 members love tradition. John Docker. Business manager of Local 98 says it this way. The best way not to forget where you come from is to never leave. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Is a midweek edition of Birds 365. You got Jody McDonald and Jeff Kerr, because John McMullen is off for COVID testing. He just spent the last 40 some odd minutes with us. Uh, but JK and I will hold it down, get you into hour number two, which will include a spot by BLG. That's what I call Brandon Lee Gowton from Bleeding Green Nation whenever he opts aboard with us. Uh, so BLG coming up next hour. But a uh, couple more questions for you, Jeff Kerr. After the Eagles were defeated by the Chargers on Sunday, a game that they could have won. I've listened to a lot of people go back and forth on whether it was a quote-unquote moral victory game. Because they're playing a very good team, and they played them uh, to a tie for 54 minutes. Let the Chargers run the entire six minutes off the clock before they kick the game-winning field goal. But six minutes ago, it's a tie game. Uh, on whether it's a moral victory that they almost beat or could have beat a talented team with a pretty damn good record on Sunday, or was it, yeah, this is bad. They could have beaten, and they didn't. We've said it too many times this year. They could have won the game, but then they don't win the game. It's kind of a glass half full, glass half empty type of thing. Which side did you come down more on? Well, I consider it a moral victory, Jody. Uh, you know, I thought... I fully expected the Eagles to play this team tough. I thought Nick Sirianni was going to run the ball a lot. He did. Uh, Jalen Hurts made a lot of plays he needed to make. 
in that second half. Now, again, I harped on the Dallas Goddard miss and the Devonta Smith miss. They were bad. But overall, Jalen Hurts was not the reason this team lost the football game on Sunday. It was Jonathan Gannon going back to that two deep safety when he was trying to, do, you know, trying to avoid the big plays, the Keenan Allen, Mike. Well, well, I hate to tell you, Jonathan Gannon, Mike Williams is banged up. Mike Williams is banged up. Bottom line, he still made a great catch off Darius Slate, but that was more of Justin Herbert putting the ball where only Mike Williams could catch it and Mike Williams just being Mike Williams. But Mike Williams was not going to go for six for 150 and a touchdown like he was prior to the knee injury against Baltimore. It just wasn't. Uh, Keenan Allen did Keenan Allen things. Keenan Allen has the most catches in NFL history through, I, I, I think it's like, how many career games or, you know, whatever the statistic is. The guy just makes plays. He He's a good receiver. The Eagles didn't want to be in them downfield. That's fine. But this was the game where, and when I rewatched it, they did blitz more, but it wasn't enough. And sometimes when you blitz more, maybe you should blitz other people or have different blitz packages. It just doesn't feel like to me they have that. And I called 27-24. I got to pat myself on the back for this. Yeah. Because I said this, I told um, Jay Mac, I told uh, Giant Mac on Friday. I'll tell you what's going to happen. It is, it's going to be tied late, and they're going to keep the ball late because the Eagles' defense can't get off the field, and they're going to kick, you know, essentially a walk-off field goal. And you know, I, I said there'd be no time left; it was two seconds. But that's pretty much what happened. I am not surprised by the Eagles' effort on Sunday. Nick Sirianni running the ball, the end result. Ah, so yeah, I'm calling a moral victory because anything other than that, I would have been disappointed. And uh, kudos for you for not only getting the layout of the game right, but the score exactly right. I had 23-20. You and I were thinking exactly the same. Yeah. It'll be a late field goal by the Chargers. It'll lift them to victory. Uh, tie game late. Uh, but you had it right on the score, which is very impressive. Um, I get right yeah. every once in a while. <laughs> What's that? I get right every once in a while. Oh, shoot. No, that's, that's more than getting it right. When you get the score right. Getting it right is depicting the way the game goes. Getting the score exactly right is pretty damn impressive. All right, uh, so the Eagles defense comes up small again in the uh, final six minutes of the game. Jonathan Gannon gets questioned tremendously. Yours truly and others are putting him under a pretty uh, big spotlight. One thing that John said when we had him on really did bother me, that the Eagles checked out a lot of blitzes the other day. They blitzed more than they did in even the previous game against the Lions. Unaffected, didn't get to the quarterback. San Diego read it, saw it, knew it, got the ball out, checked into other plays against potential Eagle blitzes. So the chess game between the defense coordinator and the offensive coordinator certainly won by the Chargers, not by Jonathan Gannon. But on field, in the split second, decisions being made by, quote unquote, the quarterback of the Eagle defense. John mentioned about four or five different guys who have done it this year, that the Eagles defensive in the huddle at the line of scrimmage play caller continues to change. Is that Jonathan Gannon's fault? Is that Howie Roseman's fault that he wasn't able to get a guy who is the unquestioned? Now you have an injury. You have a guy, you make him your defensive quarterback and he gets hurt. Well, and somebody's got to step into the lurch. That's yeah. not the case. The only guy who's gotten hurt is Brandon Graham who hasn't been able to come back. They've had all these other guys who have either not been good enough and or haven't been able to get the job done. Who should take the blame for the fact that my estimation, Jody McDonald, the Eagles defensive quarterback is ever changing and not good enough 
who should be taking the hit for that? Well, I think the Eagles felt it was going to be Eric Wilson the entire season. Well, because he understood the defense, but Eric Wilson was god-awful. Let's just you know, call a spade a spade. He was god-awful this year. And they did not expect him to be cut prior to week nine, but he was. So, yeah, they're scrambling. And, you know, maybe they felt it was going to be Alex Singleton. That, that That's not a positive answer for me. You know, T.J. Edwards is the guy now, I guess. But you're right, Jody. I think this falls on Howie Roseman and Jonathan Gannon for just not having the personnel. Uh, I, I mean, and look, this for Howie Roseman, this is bad draft after bad draft after bad draft. It's the snowball effect, and it's affecting this team, and it's affecting this defense. You know, the only linebacker you really drafted in the first couple rounds since Jordan Hicks has been Devion Taylor, and, you know, he was more of a project. And, you know, maybe you felt Rodney McLeod was going to be ready by week one. Well, he wasn't, so you didn't have him. Um, you know, Anthony Harris hasn't been great. Uh, you know, he's been okay. Uh, you know, but you know, McMullen's right. Marcus Epps, is, if we're really being honest, he's been their best safety this year. Darius Slate can't do it. He's a cornerback. You know, he's got enough on his plate. You know, they lose their defensive leader in Brandon Graham. Fletcher Cox, to me, I mean, yeah, he's a leader in a sense, but I don't feel like he's, a, you know, that type of leader like Brandon Graham is, you know, just on the field making that stuff. He, he just isn't. So, you know, right now they're between a rock and a hard place. You're going to see it all year. But if I'm going to blame somebody for that, it's the snowball effect of Howie Roseman's drafts, and it's affecting Jonathan Gannon and the way he wants to run his defense. And here's where I uh, get on Gannon's case a little bit. I guess I get on Gannon's case a lot, but sorry. It's just my read on the situation. Um, John talked about uh, the fact that they play the defense that they play and uh, that he's got his beliefs, his core beliefs and his tenets and the like. And he calls what he calls and sticks at the defense he has. If you don't have one of those leaders, and when Jonathan got here, he got a chance to evaluate all the players that he had and who was going to be his defensive leader and quarterback on the field. And he had guys like that playmaking linebackers when he was in Minnesota. Well, that was good for him in Minnesota. But when you get here and you realize, oh, damn, my defense is kind of contingent on someone being a playmaking linebacker, and I don't have a playmaking linebacker, isn't it obligatory on the defensive coordinator to be able to flex out and have more things that he can go to and maybe be a little bit more flexible and maybe play a little bit more press pass coverage? Because you look at your back seven, what are your strengths? Well, Darius Slay and Steven Nelson's ability to cover and not just sit back in a zone and then come up and tackle after an eight-yard completion, actually defend the pass. Isn't he obligated at some point to go, all right, I know this is not what I like. I know this is putting me at risk for the quote-unquote big play, which he hates, getting the ball thrown over his head. But you're getting killed by a thousand cuts here. Don't you have to say, I need to coach my defense into the strengths of my players? Has he not done that this year with his overuse of the zone defense? Not not the way I would like. The Eagles play way too much zone. Um, I hate how he plays these guys back and just make the – make the tackle. Well, it's like you said, it is dying by a thousand cuts. Oh, we only gave up a seven yard play. Oh, we, we don't give up that many pass yards. I don't really care if you get beat by a 70 yard touchdown at this point. Just when your defense is getting gassed when they're on the field, why not play Darius Slay and man? Uh, is Steve Nelson that bad in man? I don't think so. 
But Darius Slay is, is a very good man corner. He's a very good press corner. Play to his strengths. I think Rodney McLeod is better now at this stage in his career going after the quarterback because I don't think he's a good cover safety anymore because with all the injuries. So blitz him. Blitz Marcus Epps, who can do pretty much both things. Um, you know, find a way to play of three safeties on the field, you know, find a way to get Kayvon Wallace in the game. He, he's got to be good for something, right? I, I mean, zero snaps is pathetic. I, you know, I don't know if that's him. I don't know if that's the defense coordinator. I don't know what, but you are not adjusting to the personnel you have. You know, you are not helping Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave out. You are not. Derek Barnett in coverage is not helping your football team. It is not. And, and you know, Derek Barnett is not a good football player, but he also is a, you can make him better. Josh Sweat should not be, as ineffective as he is. He's a good football player, but we're not seeing it because of the way this guy runs his defense. It's come hell or high water with John Fagan. I, I, you know, I, I said this last week, Jody with McMullen, I, I'm a basketball coach. The basketball team I used to coach, we want to shoot threes. We want to shoot threes all the time. But what happens when you don't have a team that can shoot threes? Well, you make them a defensive team and you keep the game close. And you know what? They did that. You know, we made the adjustments and the team played better in the second half of the year. Why can't John Vigan do the same thing? He's an NFL head coach. I'm barely getting paid. I don't get it. Uh, understood, uh, JM. If you're not getting paid, you're not going to sweat it much. NFL coordinator. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm guessing you're sweating. Head coach already. I'm <laughs> guessing you're sweating it even uh, at your pittance of salary uh, that Jonathan Gannon is as the Eagles defense coordinator. All right, this week coming up, they got the Denver Broncos, who were very impressive in beating the Dallas Cowboys. Didn't see that one coming on Sunday. Didn't see a minute of that game either. Because I was away, not in front of my TV, didn't have the NFL package to go to whatever I wanted. I just watched Eagles straight through. So I kept seeing the score on the uh, scroll on the 14, 16, 18, 30 to nothing, Denver over Dallas. Didn't see that coming. But um, the Broncos have been a mediocre team all year. That's just my evaluation of them. And we'll get more into it when we get closer to Friday. This game for the Eagles, Teddy Bridgewater, pretty good against the Dallas defense last week. They did throw the ball very effectively. Uh, we just going to see the same thing again? Are they just going to sit back and zone and watch? Because Teddy Bridgewater will throw it underneath. He'll get the ball out of his hands quickly. He doesn't need to be throwing it down the field. He's not a mad bomber type who's going to specifically try and beat them over the top and throw into that defense. Are we looking at the same exact thing again this weekend, uh the, 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 king of, the, the king of high completion rates is Teddy Bridgewater. Because I remember when Denver acquired him, they're like, oh, he completed 70% of his passes. I'm like, did you see the throws he made last year? He's checked down Teddy for a reason. So John McGann better play his corners up. He better play his safeties up. And he better go after this guy. I mean, Denver has a pretty good offensive line. It's a lot better than a lot of people give him credit for. But they have to go after this quarterback. They have to get him, you know, under pressure. If they don't do that, with their receiving core, Jerry Judy's back, uh, Courtland Sutton, KJ Hamler's hurt, obviously, but you know they Tim Pat Tim Patrick's a really good receiver. Tim too. Patrick, where where did this guy come from? Utah wide receiver. He had a decent year last year, and he's having a breakout year this year. Is that Teddy Bridgewater, or are we uh, guys like myself just underrating Tim Patrick? Yeah, Tim Patrick's been underrated for a lot of years. He just seems to catch passes no matter who his quarterback is. He's always been like that fourth receiver in Denver, but with Hamler getting hurt, he had an opportunity to make plays from the slide, make plays on the outside, and you got to give Denver credit here for how they've kind of kept Tim Patrick around, even though they had – Portland, and, and look, Portland Sutton was hurt last year, so Tim Patrick got an opportunity to play. It just seems like the guy always shows up 
now he's hurt. And now I think he's going to be a restricted free agent. This all, this would be somebody I would love to see the Eagles get. But he's a good player. Uh, he's a really good player, and he's a guy that I, I think he's going to be Steven Nelson's responsibility on Sunday. I know the Eagles play soon in coverage, but it feels like that's a guy Steve Nelson's going to have to show up against because someone's going to have to, to stop Jerry Judy. And Jerry Judy could just beat you, you know, six ways to Sunday if you let him. So, uh, I mean, this, this Denver offense – it should be better than what it is. And I think a lot of that has to do with the quarterback and they just, they went bargain hunting for a quarterback and it bit them, but this team is five and four. They have a good defense. They play hard for this head coach. They got off to a good start. I know they don't, they didn't beat any team over 500 until Sunday. But again, I have my reservations on the Dallas Cowboys too. So, you know, Sunday was my just dessert with that. But All right. uh, Patrick has over 500 yards and four touchdowns. Something that not a lot of Eagle wide receivers can say at this stage. All right, uh, Jeff kind of teed up his opinion on the Cowboys. Well, I'm going to further get his opinion on the Cowboys and the Giants, who I know he's been quite critical of here, found a way to beat the Raiders this yeah, week. Another game I, I didn't get a chance to see enough of that I just don't understand how it happened. We'll come back and talk more about teams in the NFC East here on Birds 365 next. Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Metson Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Basketball is part of how we grew up in this city. And every morning, IBEW Local 98 members take their best shot building this city, rescuing our community from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are, like the Hawks who will never die. Local 98 members love tradition. John Dockery. Business manager of Local 98 says it this way. The best way not to forget where you come from is to never leave. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. 
go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. number two hey that's an accomplishment we never got the hour number two yesterday we didn't get the half hour number two yesterday as a matter of fact good to be aboard with you and sticking around thanks to our powers to be in comcast you got birds 365 jeff curran for john mcmullen who's doing the covid testing thing uh, today uh we'll get brandon lee gouton up in about 20 minutes from now less than that um to talk some birds 365 with us all right before we went to break jeff you mentioned uh, the Dallas Cowboys. You're still not sold on them. I guess I'm kind of in accordance with the uh, looking at it through this prism. Some people, quote unquote, uh, media members uh, around the league, um, were putting Dallas as potentially the best team in the NFC, which I thought was basically ridiculous. Tampa's better. The Packers are better. The Rams are better. The Cardinals are better. So I think optimistically, the Cowboys might be the fifth best team in the NFC. And some people are talking about them in terms of being the best team in the NFC, which prior to this uh, beatdown at the hands of Denver, I thought was ridiculous. Now it's kind of proven that it's ridiculous that they're not the best team in the NFC. But they're still far and away the best team in the NFC East, are they not? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look at the NFC East, Jeremy. Come on. Uh, Washington stinks. The Giants stink. Eagles aren't good. Uh, Eagles stink, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. of course they're the best team in the NFC East. I, I got to get this point off, though. As someone who's done this now for three years covering the NFL nationally and someone who's grown up in Philadelphia, you know, I d- did the Eagles for 24-7 sports, you know, a division of CBS for three years. I get tired of this one thing, and it's a true narrative. This league cares about three teams that win. The Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the New England Patriots. And it drives me insane. Oh, the Patriots are the best team in the AFC East. No, they're not. They're not the best team in the AFC East. They don't play anybody. They play a third-place schedule. Buffalo is going to smoke that football team. I don't care they lost to Jacksonville. They're going to smoke them. Patriots aren't good. They have a good defense. But they want Bill Belichick to win in the worst way. It drives you insane. The Steelers always win. They, they just do. They're going to find a way to make the playoffs because they're the Steelers. You know, Mike Tomlin's a good coach. I don't mind that, but when you say to me Dallas is the best team in the NFC, I'm like, have you watched the Cardinals? Have you watched the Packers with Aaron Rodgers? Have you watched the Rams? Have you watched the Bucs? Yeah, okay, they're amongst the best teams. That's because the NFC East is terrible. The NFC North stinks, too. This is why I get on Green Bay as much as I do. The NFC North is terrible. The NFC East is terrible. Tampa has some competition in the NFC uh, South. The Falcons can hold their own. I mean, I, I said earlier in the year they stink. I was clearly wrong about that. They can hold their own. Uh, the Saints are pretty good. I, I mean, they don't have their quarterback. They still have a good defense. The NFC West is loaded, and San Francisco's been a disappointment. But Seattle's good with Russell Wilson. They're just off to a bad start right now. And you know what? The Rams and the Cardinals bring to the table. It, it just drives me insane when they, they want these three teams. And, you know, I can even count the Packers in there. They really, for some reason, they want those four teams to be the best teams in the NFL. And I don't think – Look, I know what it is. It's views, it's clicks, it's debate. 
for some reason, people seem to care who the Cowboys cut. Or should the Cowboys sign Odell Beckham? Why? So you can talk about it? It's a joke. All right. So so I'm going to tie it down a little bit here when you say they want. Who's they? You need to, to further describe they. That's kind of a vague term. It is a vague they, but I feel like the league benefits. The league. It's like they're secretly. I, look, I know people that are like this, that are higher ups. It's. It's better when the Cowboys are good. It's better when the Steelers are good. It's better when the Patriots are good. I personally, Jody, I think the NFL would love it if the Buccaneers played the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Remember in in, in two thousand seven, they all they wanted was the Cowboys Patriots Super Bowl. It, it felt like the league was hoping Dallas would get there and hoping New England would get there undefeated, and they just had this glorious 110, 120 million people watching this game. It's Look, it's I worked on team sites before. It's Dallas, Pittsburgh, New England. And if anybody else gets in the way of that, I'm not saying like it's it's a detriment, but I've I've worked in this. Well, yeah, the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, but they're playing the Patriots, so we're gonna focus on the Patriots this week. Well, that's great. I, I don't cover that. All right, so uh, you're 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 calling the media in general on the carpet. It's, it's specific... in general, yes. It's not anywhere. It's not where I work. It's it's everywhere. It's it's they're more of a talk. Look at first take, for example. Perfect, perfect example. First take. Yeah, but that's a whole. Yeah, uh, I know. Goes back to Skip Bayless cowboy thing and a uh, uh, Stephen A. He got it. Kind of got sucked into that. I'll cut Stephen A. A little. Slack on that one on on, on yeah. the Cowboys. Now is, he plays it to the to the ultimate. Excellent at what he does. Yeah, uh, he is. I I actually admire Stephen A. because he he he's not falling into the trap. He's just helping the. It's he's a he's a good journalist. I'll say that. He he knows how to play the game. All right. Um, I do want to get into this with you, and I want to carry it over with uh, BLG as well. Um, before the year started, I, I'm pretty sure you were on the same page in the same neighborhood, maybe on the same pew as McMullen and I, what was your expectation for the Eagles and how it equated to their one loss record? What do you think the Eagles were going to do before the year started? So I had them ending up at eight and nine, I think through nine games, I had them at four and five. I obviously, I think the Chargers are going to be as good as they were. I think the only mix I had, I you know, I had them beating Vegas, but I didn't think Vegas was going to be what they were right now, five and three. I mean, they, it looks really bad now. They lost the Giants, but again, you know, you're going out at least, and they, I, I still don't know how they lost that team. It's an impressive win by the Giants, honestly. But I had them pretty much what they. I didn't have them at three and six, but I thought they'd be four and five right now. I thought this Denver game would be tough for them going in. Um, Again, it's it, this is about where I thought they'd be. Like I, I, I did not have playoff expect. I didn't think the NFC was going to be as bad as it was after the top five teams. But it is what it is right now, Jody. Actually, I thought they're going to be worse than they have been at three and six. I thought they could be very well two and seven because the Carolina game was a game I had as a loss before the season started, and they ended up uh, winning that. I'm eight and one on the Eagles. Uh, prediction from the beginning of the season and in season as well. I've not changed my mind on these. Yet I was with you that they can finish eight and nine. 
So that means they're going to have to win a whole bunch of games here in the second half of the season. And it starts this week with uh, Denver after they get beat by the Chargers, which I thought was going to happen. You and I both said late field goal. That's exactly what happened. Um, I think they can beat Denver. I know Denver's an above 500 team right now, but I just they just traded Vaughn Miller. If they really thought they could make the playoffs, they should make the playoffs. Do you trade Vaughn Miller at They're this stage of the year? I don't think so. Right <laughs> I don't get why they trade Vaughn Miller, honestly. Like, well, I get why they trade him. They got the draft picks, but I agree with you 100%. If they didn't think they could make the playoffs in an AFC West that's wide open right now, yeah, Denver is – look, I don't want to say they're not a good team because they're a solid team, but I don't know if their record really is what it is. It's – you know, if I had to rank the AFC West teams, I would say they're the worst. Right, but right now uh, they would be in a playoff position where they sit, which is kind of tough to explain. Uh, so it would be a fun game, a good game, and a game that the pressure will be on the offense. Uh, the offense played well enough to win this past week. The defense let them down, my estimation of the Charger game. This is the game they're going to need to do some things on defense because the Broncos are going to bring a pretty good defense. I don't know that the Eagles are going to be able to put up 24 points again like they did this past week. Who do you think it's going to fall on? If we go week by week by week by week, the Eagles lost because one of the two sides of the ball. The Eagles won because one of the two sides of the ball. Which side of the ball is more under the microscope this week against Denver? So if the Eagles win this week, I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a lot to do with it because I don't think they're going to be able to run 46, 39 times for, you know, 170 plus yards. I, I don't think that's going to happen against the Denver defense. Jalen Hurts is going to have to make plays with his arm at some point in this football game. And if he can do that, and if they can get to the ball to Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard and kind of use the run this up a play action like they've been doing, like I'm not saying run the ball a lot, but Jalen Hurts makes the throws he needs to make. I think the Eagles will win this game. And, you know, it's, it's cliche, but it is what it is. I mean, at some point you're going to have to find out if this quarterback can make throws or not. And I think Sunday is a good opportunity for him. And if the Eagles lose, I think it – I'm not saying it's going to fall on Hurts, but Hurts needs to find a way to get this team 24 points again. If they can do that, I think they come away with a win. So I'm going to put the pressure on the offense. And I said this on both my WIP shows Monday and Tuesday night, and I said it in our shortened 365 show here yesterday before uh, we had uh, Comcast just interrupt us. Um, while I'm going to give Nick Sirianni credit for both of the two uh, performances the last two weeks, the big win, easy win, Lions stink against Detroit, but then a, a good enough drive late, get it even, Six minutes left to play. You're even with a pretty talented Charger team. That's a good job out of the offense. I still don't think, although people are giving him a lot of credit because he leaned on the running game when he had the opportunity to do so in Detroit. He did. He made it work. They got an easy win. It came in this week looking as if running the football would be a good idea again because the Chargers were bad at it. He did. He kept them very much in the game. Yeah. But then again, Jalen Hurts only threw it 17 times. I still think he's looking for that perfect balance, even though he's taken less grief the last two weeks because I think the Eagles generally as a fan base like to run the football, that they're not uh, afraid to go ground and pound and physically win a football game. And and they've done that uh, specifically last two weeks. I don't think he's found the perfect balance yet. Do you? I, I don't think he has. Uh, I, I just think the last two weeks he looked at bad run defenses and said, you know what? 
we got to run the football here. I got to do what I can to win football games, which is what he should do as an NFL head coach. It's why I've kind of turned around a little bit on Nick Sirianni. I still get along for a lot of stuff, but, I mean, he's run the football very effectively, and he's done what you should do when you face bad run defense. But you're right. I think he's looking for that back. Jalen Hurts should not be throwing the ball only 14 or 17 times, but that's how it's been the last two weeks. It is what it is. I I don't think the Eagles are disguising Jalen Hurts' inabilities or anything like that. I think what what they're doing is, look, this gives us the best chance to win games, and you know, they could have come away with a win over the Chargers. I, I mean, honestly, Jody, the Eagles, you know, they killed the Lions doing that strategy, and they almost beat the Chargers doing that, a much better football team than the Lions. Now you got Denver coming in who can stop the run. This is where I think you might find that more of a healthy balance. I don't think Nick Sirianni wants Jalen Hurts to throw the ball 35, 40 times Sunday. But if he can throw it 25, 30, I think Nick would be pretty happy with that. Not sure they found that perfect balance yet. Maybe this is the week. I don't think you're going to see him revert to, as you say, 35-plus times. That's not going to happen, even though it looks like Denver might be a team you could throw the ball against. No, no, their secondary is pretty damn good. They're going to need to run it again, but i just like to see a little bit more play-action stuff this upcoming week against Denver. We'll talk about the game against the Chargers, the game against Denver, and the whole rest of the season with our next guest, BLG, Brandon Lee Gowton from Bleeding Green Nation. going to hop aboard here on Birds 365. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500, or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mets and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Basketball is part of how we grew up in this city. And every morning, IBEW Local 98 members take their best shot building the city, rescuing our community from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are, like the Hawks who will never die. Local 98 members love tradition. John Doctor. Business manager of Local 98 says it this way. The best way not to forget where you come from is to never leave. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. 
Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. I look up and I see that our buddy, Brandon Lee Gowton, is not with us yet. Uh, we did say uh, 20 minutes after the hour. I guess I went to break about 45 seconds too early. Uh, we're efforting to get BLG up here uh, to join us and talk some Eagles from a perspective of three and six start. Which, by the way, Jeff Kerr, um, I talked to Ruben Frank last night and he and I are on the exact same page here. The NFL needs to adjust this 17-game season. I know it's really nitpicky, but it, it it does just hit home. When you're playing an odd number of games, you never get to the midway point of the season. The midway point was halftime of the Chargers and Eagles this week, which is just wrong. You can't have a midway point of a season in the middle of a game. How many years do you think we're going to have to wait? until they get the 18th game on the schedule? I say it's going to be three. I, I think they eventually do go to 18. Um, it, you know, it's funny, covering the league, I was joking, hey, guys, we're halfway done. They're like, well, half the teams are ha- aren't halfway done. You know, some are at eight and some are at nine. It's, it, it does get confusing. Like, it's it, – Jody, I'm not going to be used to the NFL playing the Week 18 game on January 9th. I'm just not. It's it's – Definitely an odd schedule. It, it's going to be 18 at some point. Like, I, I, I feel like teams are going to complain. You can't have not one team can't have nine games at home and the other team can't have nine games on the road. It's it's going to go to 18. I think sooner rather than later, I think the TV contracts have that set up. I, I'll say three years. Okay, so three. Uh, it better be th- If it's more than three, I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, but that's me because I'm a, a jerk and a bit of a nerd. But... That's all right. Speaking of a jerk and a nerd, here's our buddy, Brandon Lee Gowton. Uh, we're a little late getting to him. Our bad, uh, but good to get him. Uh, give you the first question I just asked her. When are we going to get an 18th game in the NFL? Because 17 games is just not working for me. Uh, I'm going to say, so Jeff said three years here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to price this right this. I'm going to go, well, the opposite price rate, I guess. I'll go a little bit under. I'm going to say two years. Two years. Okay, I'm I'm glad you took. We're more years. optimistic than the league is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but uh, let me follow up with another league question for you, and then we'll get really eagle specific with you, Brandon. Um, we talked about this with John McMullen at the top of the show. The the taunting call in the Monday night game, in my estimation, John, and I think for the most part, Jeff, was ridiculous. Just a complete abuse of power, and they can say, "Well, we warned you about this, and we made it a point of emphasis." They're over-legislating the game. It could have had a major impact in the outcome of the game, which I think is terrible and should be decided by the players. Does the NFL, are they all just giving us all the big middle finger that we'll do whatever we want? We don't care what media guys or fans say about the game being less enjoyable because it's flag after flag after flag after flag. Are they really telling us, shut up, you're just going to watch anyway, so don't even comment on it? How bad is the NFL um, mishandling their game in the way they officiate? 
I mean, basically, right? Like, who's asking for this? Who is who? Who else, except for the crotchety owners, are asking for this uh, enforcement and institution? And I still like. I don't want to let you know Tony Corrente off the hook there because I think that was still, even though he can say to point of emphasis, whatever, it's a bad rule. I just have to enforce it. I mean, I don't really agree with that. I mean, that was. I think that was a bad enforcement in that instance still. And I think um, if the refs had any chutzpah, uh, they could not call it this you know uh egregiously like they are but uh it's really dumb and it shouldn't exist and i don't think anyone out there is arguing otherwise except for the owners brandon wouldn't you enjoy more i mean because you go to the games wouldn't you enjoy more if like you were at that game and tony Corrente had to actually stand up at the podium and explain his decision like every coach and every player does after every little situation that they only remember yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's limited to just the pool report. You know, it's like one reporter gets to kind of contact him and ask them those questions in a, a very, like, rushed setting, like a couple questions. It's not like you said there, Jeff, like they're standing up the podium and, you know, ask, uh, getting faced with these wide-ranging ra- questions. Um, yeah, so it's it's totally different for the refs. BLG Eagles are three and six. Hung in the game, came up short, game-winning field goal by Chargers late. Uh, so they see they're three and six, but the schedule gets easier from here on in. But we basically evaluate the team and where they're at on a week in, week out basis. Who's been more disappointing for you so far, the Eagles this year, the head coach or the defensive coordinator? Hmm. I think you have to say the defensive coordinator because when you have a defense that gives up five quarterbacks who are completing 80% of their passes, I mean, that's just wild. And I think back to training camp and the defense was showing some positive signs. Now, again, so many training camp, it's practice, whatever. But still, it seemed like they had the talent here. And you look at all the investments on the Eagles defensive line and you're like, all right, they have enough here to kind of be maybe not one of the best defenses in the NFL, but enough to not be a total joke, to be respectable. And, you know, the Eagles obviously have had some good defensive moments this season, but it's come against really bad quarterbacks, you know, Sam Darnold and uh, Jared Goff. And at some point, you need a defensive game plan where you can beat the good quarterbacks, and they don't have that at all. Uh, BLG, you know, we hear from streamers. They feel the talent on this defense is better than it was last year, 2019, under Jim Schwartz. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I see, I, I get asked that on Twitter, too, a lot, and I, you know, I kind of give like a, you know, I don't know. Like, what, what do you feel? Do you feel there's more talent on this defense than what the stats are showing? I mean, I think talent is part of the issue. I know I just said I, I think they had enough to be a respectable defense, but, you know, again, they don't have enough to be an elite defense, and that's part of the problem. Um, you know, I think some guys have really fallen off, like Fletcher Cox, obviously, who I believe has, like, two sacks in his last 12 games. Like, that's just not good enough from your top-paid player on the entire team. Uh, Javon Hargrave had a great start to the year, an all-pro kind of start to the year with, what, like, six sacks in his first five games. But since then, in his last four, he doesn't have one. Um, so, like, they're not getting the production. You look at how the Eagles haven't spent resources, or if they have, they haven't done it wisely. Like, uh, I'll put it this way. Like, who have the Eagles drafted? Like, who was the last player the Eagles drafted on defense that, like, opposing teams should really fear? Like, is it Josh Wett? I mean, Josh Wett, I think, is a nice player, but I don't think people are, like, shaking in their boots because of Josh Wett, who didn't do anything against the Chargers. Um, I-, I think it's, you know, it's it's not just about Gannon. I think that would be scapegoat, or he would be a scapegoat for the front office's issues if we're not making it, uh, or, or if we're making it only about him. I-, I think the talent here isn't good enough, and again, they haven't invested those resources as a whole when you're looking at these draft picks and everything, uh, or at least if they have, they haven't done it wisely. So it's kind of issues across the board. 
All right, uh, sticking with the defensive line and not getting enough pressure. Um, I'm getting tired of even listening to myself. I beat up on Derek Barnett on a daily basis, almost an hourly basis here on Birds 365. And I don't understand why he continued to play. Um, last night, Ruben Frank told me. Today, John McMullen told me. Well, the other options are just as bad, if not worse, which I kind of find hard to believe. But even if I accept that, I got one more play here, Milt Williams. And I know that he hasn't put up numbers either, and he's played some, not nearly as much as Derek Barnett. And if you're not in there, if you're not getting snaps, you can't make any plays. Nobody gets any sacks or quarterback hits or hurries from the bench. That I figured out uh, following football for 40 years. Um, Should they be moving him outside more, BLG? They talked to him about being a – young Brandon Graham and a guy who could go between inside and outside. Well, they lost Brandon Graham way too early this season. They're not getting him back yet. We haven't seen this flexibility with Milt Williams. Anything to get Derek Barnett off the field. I'm willing to move Milt Williams outside, even if it's completely outside and take him out of the defensive tackle rotation. Why hasn't that happened? It's a good question. Um, I think, you know, obviously no one's sitting, at least this team is not, maybe you are Jody, but this team isn't sitting Derek Barnett or Burnett on the bench completely. I think you could get more of a rotation going. So he's not playing like uh, I think he was like, he's one of the top two defensive linemen in terms of playing time in the last game. Uh, and that penalty was so huge, by the way, turning that third and six into a third and one is, is a huge penalty. And it's not his first one that we've seen this year. Uh, I think you could, you know, and should maybe move Milton Williams outside, but you know, I think that's hardly like the easy fix in terms of I look at Milton Williams' production this year and outside of the Lions game in which everyone had like a career day basically or their best performance of the season. Milton Williams has zero sacks, zero tackles for loss, and zero quarterback hits this season. So, you know, I, I don't think he's, you know, the, the surefire answer. Obviously, he showed some promise in the preseason. Obviously, you have hopes about him in the future moving forward. So it's not just about what he does this year as much as it is, you know, getting him more experience and hoping he can kind of develop over the course of the season and then going into next year. So, I mean, I'm open to try anything, um, but I, I just don't know that they have a great answer. BLG, everybody in this stream has more receiving yards than Jalen Riker the last two weeks. What do you do with this guy at this point? Uh, I never bought the Jalen Rager, you know, breakout talk this year. I thought I, I said he did not have a great training camp when it came to like 11 on 11 drills. He he did, you know, he had those highlight catches and one on ones, but like, okay, that's not real football. That's just, I guess, a drill basically. And, uh, you know, we're seeing it manifest this season into him just being completely a non factor. He's at 7.6 yards per reception, which is the worst in the NFL of any receiver. Uh, there's a good set out there that like he's, you he had 55 yards in his first game, which came on his first career catch against Washington in 2020. He hasn't topped 55 yards in a single game since then. It's just really disappointing. Um, obviously, he got banged up in the Lions game, and it seemed like he, some of those effects were still lingering in the Chargers game because they didn't have him return punts, and he obviously wasn't a big part of the game plan, not that he should be anyway. Um, so I think you know we can add that uh, caveat in there, but I, I just don't know. I, what I would do is just – like not play him a ton because he's not good. Like, I, I don't know what else you can say. Uh, and again, it's not like the Eagles have a bunch of amazing options behind him, but I, I just don't think Jalen Rager is, you know, much of anything for this offense other than I thought he showed some promise as, 
you know, on some of those running plays against the Lions. And I think part of that is because it's Detroit. And again, anyone can kind of look good against them. But I would maybe try to get him more involved on those. But it's pretty sad when you spend a first-round pick on a wide receiver and all you can do maybe with that person is run the ball. Yeah, the problem with him running the ball now is when he comes in, he's so ineffective at running patterns and or catching the ball, making plays downfield. The other team knows, oh, Reagan's in. It's got to be a jet sweep. And they're ready for it, and they sniff it out ahead of time. I uh, do want to go here with your BLG because I did with Jeff, and uh, John and I did it earlier. Where we thought the Eagles would be at this stage of the season, I had them actually at two and seven, but finishing eight, nine, and eight, nine. Um, Jeff had them at uh, three or four, and he had them finishing eight and nine. Um, Where are they where you thought they'd be, and has it changed your overall position? At how many games do you think the Eagles are going to win at the end of the year? I think, like, just from a record standpoint, you know, I'm not shocked at a three and six. I think I had them about like seven and ten, eight and nine uh, when the schedule came out, and I kind of stuck with that for the most part. I, I felt like that was on the high end, actually, for me. And then I started to feel a little bit better about that going into the season and week one and everything. And then obviously, I started to feel worse about that with some of the struggles. Uh, but I think I'm still there when you look at the easy schedule. Um, it's, you know, it's it's just kind of a year, I guess, that we kind of expected in the sense that it is this transition year. It's not a season anyone expecting them to be competing for a Super Bowl. Uh, I don't think that means things can't be disappointing still. Like, you can have this expectation and things go along uh, in the big picture, like the overall record of how you expect it. But I think the defense, again, like we talked about, has more just been disappointing when you're allowing quarterbacks to complete passes at a historical uh, completion percentage. That's really disappointing. Uh, the offense has had some inconsistencies and really the biggest thing, one of the, at least one of the biggest things that matters in addition to finding out like, is Nick Sirianni a good head coach, which I think there's, you know, I'm not going to say he's a great head coach, but I think there's at least some hope for him. I don't think there's as much hope for Jalen hurts who I know was coming off a better performance for him this season against the chargers, but I don't think he's done enough, nearly enough, I should say to erase all doubt that he is the Eagles franchise quarterback moving forward. And I think that's the bar they have for him. I don't think it's as simple as just like, oh, he showed some encouraging signs and now we're going to stick with him and let him grow. I don't think that's it. I think they have, I think he has to erase all doubt. And I don't think he's done that to this point. And I think the Eagles shifting their offense to a very run heavy offense where he's not even passing the ball that much kind of speaks to their lack of confidence in his passing ability, which I think is a big concern moving forward for him. Let me try and tie you down there. And Jeff, I'll let you get in here. uh, Just let me follow up. I I hear what you're saying about he hasn't done enough to make you believe, oh, he's the guy. But for me, at least, he hasn't done enough for me to be able to say, oh, he's not the guy. They have to go looking for another quarterback. Jalen Hurts, we know, even though he's going to be the quarterback for the last eight games, he's not going to be the quarterback in 2022. I'm not there either. So I'm still in the TBD, to be determined middle. It sounds like you're certainly trending in the don't think it's happening direction. Are you already there? You know that Jalen Hurts is not going to be good enough to be their quarterback in 2022? But we still have, what, eight games left here? So I'm not ready to say, you know, these games don't matter at all. Um, And we obviously have to evaluate him down the stretch. But again, I think the like kind of putting the burden of proof is on Jalen Hurts to prove he is the guy. I don't think it's like good enough again, like you said there, Jody, like to say like, oh, he's definitely, we can't say he's not. Like, I don't think that's good enough. I think he has to like affirmatively prove he is the guy. And I, I just have my doubts that that's really going to happen again when like the offense has been more efficient than ever 
when Jalen Hurts has been less involved as a passer than ever. And I just don't think that's really the most sustainable way of winning in the NFL. I think if you want to disagree with me on that, that's fine. But I think the Eagles certainly don't think that's a sustainable way, given what they value, which is really relevant here in the discussion. And you just like Jalen Hurts, 17 in pass attempts against the Chargers, 14 pass attempts against the Lions. Like that's not, I just don't think that's sustainable moving forward. At some point you need your quarterback to drop back 30 times a game and have the confidence he can do that and be a really good high level offense and beat the really good teams. And I don't know if he's developing into that player in the long run. I think he has limitations as a passer. And it's a shame because I think Jalen Hurts is a very rootable player, a likable guy that you would like to see develop in an ideal world. But I think that's not the standard in today's NFL. You want an elite quarterback. You don't just want a guy who's kind of good enough. So this kind of brings, you know, Jody kind of asked, asked my question, but <laughs> I'll. Uh, so, sorry for jumping in. Oh, no, no, oh, no, you're fine, Jody. So now I'll go to this one because this is going to be my. What do you think is, in terms of NFL quarterbacks, if you had to kind of name an NFL quarterback, what do you think Jalen Hurts' ceiling could be? I think the ceiling is someone of like a guy who can get you into the playoffs um, and maybe kind of be one and done. I mean, I think that's kind of the, the where it's capped out at. I think, you know, maybe like a Tyrod Taylor, um, you know, one of these kind of just a, a solid. I think he be, he belongs in the NFL. He's an NFL quarterback. Um, I think he'd be a very high level backup, one of the best backups in the NFL. Um, I think he's a low end starter, you know, someone maybe like, hey, a team the Eagles are playing this week and Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who kind of hops around the league. He starts for some teams, but he's never a guy. I don't think a team is going to be handing out like one of these insane top of the market contracts to. Um, I, I just don't think he's justified that. And, you know, it, he's kind of he's a he's a hard quarterback to kind of quantify in some respects of because you see how big his mobility can be. I thought he came up huge on those last two drives, those last two touchdown drives for the Eagles against the Chargers, uh, scrambling and making those big plays to extend drives on like third and fours and what have you. Um, but and at the end of the day, it's a passing league. I think we all know that. And I just don't think he has those talents. I think there are real deficiencies in his ability to pass the ball effectively. And I don't think that's something that magically gets better with time. Not to say you can't get better than he is right now, but I don't think you're getting to a point where you know you're 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 one of the top, the very elite offenses in the league, or he's one of the very best quarterbacks. I just don't think he's making that uh, jump from what he is now. All right, BLG. I'm looking at the Eagle box score from this past week and the one the week before against the Lions, which was a nice blowout victory. It's always good when you get those because you can get some extra guys, some snaps, and some run and the like. But looking over the last several games, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, since since Hurts left. And basically not, nobody else in the passing game. Hey, talk about not sustainable. You said Hurts uh, isn't sustainable, throwing it only 17 times. Agreed. And, and I think they're going to be forced to throw a little bit more because Denver will be better against the run than either of their last two opponents. Who else is going to be able to step in and make a play for the Eagles? If they double Smith, which they make, if they bracket Goddard, which I would do if I were Denver, and someone else is getting one-on-one coverage and a chance to make a play, if he can read it right, get open, and the quarterback can deliver the football, who's that going to be on the Eagles? Well, I mean, like the best option I feel about, if we're not throwing to Dallas Goddard or we're not throwing to Devontae Smith, which – I think they should just shoot anyway. I don't care who's covering them. I don't care if he's doubled. Devontae or Smith see the ball open. down there throws. Yeah. I, they should. I mean, Devontae Smith still isn't getting enough targets. Like like six in a game is not enough. I know, you know, it kind of fit the game because they weren't throwing as much, but like he should be getting like at least 10 a game. 
because he can okay. handle that and he's really good. Um, and obviously Dallas Goddard should be getting a bunch too. But if we're taking them out of the equation, I mean, Quez Watkins isn't going to be a volume receiver for you, but he's obviously a big play guy. We know that. And I don't think we've kind of been able to see enough big plays from him. And maybe teams have been kind of keying in on him and trying to take that away. But still, I mean, there has to be kind of spots there and you have to hit him. I believe there was a shot play, if I'm not mistaken, to Quez last week when the Eagles were backed up against their own goal line and the throw was out of bounds by Jalen Hurts. So to kind of miss those, that's a big deal. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's Quez. Uh, maybe you get the running backs involved in the passing game, uh, but they're not really playing Kenny Gainwell at all right now, which I don't know what that's all about. Um, so there aren't any great answers, really. Uh, BLG, we like to get how he rose the first race. I, you know, it's clear he makes a lot of mistakes, but I got to defend him a little bit here on top 10 picks. Uh, Lane Johnson, he hit. Carson Wentz, he hit be- before the injury. And, you know, Devonta Smith's going to be a stud in this league. Now that the Eagles are look like they're at least going to have two top 10 picks, I, I mean, do you feel confident that he can make these right picks? I guess, like, I, I get that that's the concern with everyone. Um I, I can't say I have full confidence in him because uh, it's not just – it's some of the bad processes that have gone into it before. I know you, you picked up the good examples there of the top ten, and obviously there's you know a better chance to hit on those because you're you know, picking from very, very good talents as opposed to you know things get a little bit murkier in the 20s. Um, I guess like the way I think about it isn't just about that because I don't think it's going to be as simple as the Eagles sitting at all those picks and making them because if they do that, and I know a lot of people want to see that happen – and specifically probably want them to add a couple, you know, defensive studs. And a spe- like, I, I bet a lot of people would say, hey, let's get, you know, like a linebacker, a safety, and a defensive end. Three picks, three defenders. Uh, but, like, okay, but where are you getting the quarterback from? Like, I think you – I don't think once you use those picks, you don't have the assets anymore to go out and trade for a veteran quarterback. And obviously, um, you know, free agency happens before the draft, so we'll kind of have a, an idea of what they are going to be able to do in the draft based on, you know, what they do when the trade uh, window opens in March and everything. Uh, so we'll figure that out. There's an order of operations there. But that's the kind of way I think about it. I, I just don't necessarily assume they're going to have all those picks to spend. I think they're going to be pretty aggressive – uh, and trying to find a veteran quarterback, whether that they can execute that trade, I don't know, because I think Russell Wilson, let's just say, for example, I don't know why he would want to come to Philly, and he has a no-trade clause, so that's relevant. But um, but yeah, to, to kind of answer your question about Howie and the picks, um, I'm not saying he can't get him right. I can't say I have supreme confidence without a doubt that he is. All right, so I'm really going to hold your feet to the fire here, BLG. Uh, assuming that Russell Wilson's not coming, and Deshaun Watson's not coming, I can pretty much assure you that uh, Aaron Rodgers, I Mm -hmm. I think they have a better chance to get Watson and or Wilson than they do of getting Rodgers. Mm -hmm. There's not a free agent quarterback that I can see that is going to hit the free agent market. There isn't a uh, expiring contract or a guy I go, yeah, you know, the team's going to cut ties. They're going to move away from it. I, I just don't see a veteran guy being the guy here. If they're going to draft a quarterback, all right, more power to them. I don't know that it's a good quarterback draft. I don't know that I would use their highest pick, which will probably be the Dolphin one, on a quarterback. They'll probably be a quarterback off the board. Howie Roseman can't actually combine picks to move up to take a quarterback in this. I don't think it can happen. Jay Lurch is going to be the quarterback of the Eagles again next year. Whether you <laughs> like it, I like it, or anybody else like there's a really good chance. I think it's better than 50% as we sit here mm-hmm. right now that Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the Eagles, no matter what he does in these next eight games. 
I get what you're saying from a standpoint of like he might just be the last man uh, standing there. But I, I just don't think that's how the Eagles operate, Jody. Like, I don't think they just say good enough is good enough at the quarterback position. And ah, we're just going to roll with this guy, even yeah, though we don't really feel good about it. They traded Carson Wentz. Jalen Hurts <laughs> was drafted to be a backup. Guess what? He's going to start all the games this year. They're going to make right. all these moves to try and get a new quarterback. They're going to be thwarted. They're not going to get him. Guess what? Jalen Hurts is going to be the quarterback again next year. That's a one-year thing, though. I don't think like they're going into this multi. I, I just... One year, two years. Are we splitting the hairs here, BLG? It's possible. It's possible from a standpoint of uh, anything, or there's there's a there's a chance. I think it's a lower than fifty. I would say maybe I don't know a twenty percent chance, but like I don't know. I I I I think you can't really discount how this offense has shifted, and I think there's a big reason that happened. I think early in the it's just a theory of mine, but I think early in the season they wanted to see what Jalen Hurts can do with his arm, and everyone's like, "Whoa, why did it take so long for them to start running the ball?" Well, it's because they wanted to evaluate the starting quarterback and see if he could actually throw, and it turns out he really can't too well, or at least can't carry an offense that way, and now they're, again, running the ball at this very heavy rate. And I think that's because it's Nick Sirianni trying to do whatever he can to win now because that's his job as a head coach. But I don't think it's really, you know, setting the team up for long-term success. And I just feel like, you know, we know how this organization works and how the owner and GM are really involved. And I can't help but wonder, did the head coach get the green light first, you know, them to go to a run-heavy offense all of a sudden? Something that Jeffrey Lurie has complained about to Doug Peterson, even when it's worked in the past, reportedly. Um, So that's where my mind is at. Well, now that we're bringing up the 2022 uh, draft class here, uh, you know, the name I keep hearing that the best quarterback is, everybody wants to talk about Matt Corral and Malik Wills. Well, the name I keep hearing is Kenny Pickett. It's Kenny Pickett. You got to watch Kenny Pickett. I've watched a couple games now. Guy's got an arm. He's got some mobility. It's, I mean, I I think there's franchise quarterback potential in him, but I don't know if you would want to waste the, say they get the two or three pick here. I don't know if that's worth it. Is that something the Eagles are really going to have to evaluate this offseason? I just don't get like the biggest sense that, you know, they're going to, they're really, I, I think they really prefer a veteran. I think that's the case. I think that's what they want to do. Um, I don't know then what that becomes. Like Jody's saying, if they can't get that person, which is, a, you know, there's a realistic chance that they can't. Um, I don't know if that goes to the draft. With Kenny Pickett, uh, the thing I don't love about his profile, I think he's, he's pretty older, right? Like he's like 24 or so he's for. 24. Like, that's not great to me. Um, that's not like automatically disqualifying, so you can't succeed in the NFL. But I don't love that because he might just kind of be already what he is at this point, and I don't know, you know, what the ceiling is like for him to improve and everything. So um, there's no easy answer here, and that's the the frustrating, challenging part about all of this, and also why I think there is a lot of Jalen Hurts support because it kind of manifests that of well, if he's not the guy, then we don't have an answer. But I think that's you know you can't just talk yourself into him because of that. Like you have to evaluate him in a vacuum and is he good enough or not and I don't think he has been to this point and I don't know that Kenny Pickett is coming in here being the answer either um, or Matt Corral or or Malik Willis I am intrigued by Matt Corral the most but I'm not saying he's a surefire answer by any means and that's kind of why the Eagles are in a tough spot let me uh, if we're going to go with a veteran quarterback which I follow your line of thinking BLG it makes 100% sense uh, but if we're going to believe that the Eagles can get their hands on a veteran quarterback, let's set the bar high. Let's get that Mahomes guy. Andy Reid, you owe us. You never would have won a Super Bowl if you didn't get your job first here. <laughs> he give, give us that Chad Henney. Mahomes guy. He, he give us Chad Henney probably, but not Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, there's a veteran for you. No, we don't, we don't need Patrick uh, Chad Henney. Um, BLG, 
I think Nick Sirianni is doing a decent job. I had a caller last night on WIP, or maybe it was Monday night. He must go tomorrow. He's got to be fired. I said, not happening. Stop, please. Uh, he's going to get the rest of this season. He's going to get another season on top of that. I don't think, unless the Eagles lose out, I don't think there's any way Nick Sirianni is going to be fired. Jonathan Gannon, he's still, his seat is still a little warm for me, but Sirianni's going to be here. And uh, anyone who debates that, I think, is just being a hater. So shame on them. I think he's got a pretty good control of the roster. I think he's got uh, of the locker room roster is Howie. But uh, I think they're still playing hard for him. And I th- still think the players are uh, giving close to damn close to maximum effort. But if they had a moment alone, Sirianni said, I need you guys to talk. If he slammed the locker room door shut and they had a players only meeting. Give me one. If you need to go two, that's fine. But give me the guy who would step up and run a players-only meeting if this team decided it needed one right now. I mean, that's a really good question. I think it kind of speaks to the lack of, you know, because, like, let's say if Malcolm Jenkins is here, it, you wouldn't even be asking me this question, Jody. You, we'd all know it would be Malcolm Jenkins. And I even um, go, and it's got to be a player. I should add this uh, codicil to it. I think it would be Brandon Graham. If Graham was right. capable to be going out right. and playing, I think he is the vocal leader of this team. Well, it's nice to be able to do it when you're in the mix. He's not. He's done for the year, and hopefully he's going to come back next year. But uh, if Brandon Graham isn't the guy, who is the guy who would stand up and say, here's what we need to do as a group? I think it would be Rodney McLeod just from the standpoint of, you know, this is the guy who breaks down the huddle, you know, before the games and everything. He's obviously been here for a little bit now, and he is a team captain, has been for two years in a row, and was really looked to to replace Malcolm Jenkins when Jenkins uh, was not kept. Um, But it's just kind of a weird thing because I I think Rodney uh, is a well-spoken guy, and I think players respect him. But, like, Rodney McLeod isn't having, you know, some amazing season or anything. And I think a lot of times, like, you're ideally um, your leaders need to be your best players, like someone, the people who are producing results on the field and then can, you know, back up that talk and everything. So uh, I don't think they have an amazing leadership here. They have obviously have some good guys. Jason Kelsey is in there as well. That's an obvious name to point to. Um, But, you know, and part of the problem is with with those names that I'm saying, like those guys aren't going to be here for years to come. Like these are the guys at the, in the twilight of their careers. Like who is like, who's the leader moving forward? You know, like what is the next era of Eagles football, which is what the team is transitioning to. Like who's going to step up, which of these young guys is going to be a leader moving forward. And I, I, I don't know. Like, there's really no good answer to this for that. Devonte Smith is I think kind of a quiet guy. Maybe it's him to some extent. I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, if Jalen hurts is here, um, I don't know. Like there, there isn't really a surefire answer when it comes to like projecting the leaders of the future on this team. Speaking of the next era of Eagles football, I did want to ask you about this, BLG. I, I mean, you've been a pretty good critic of Miles Sanders in the past, and rightfully so. But I want to know, like, is Nick Sirianni going to commit to this run game when he eventually does return? Or do the Eagles have to find out what they have in him just as much as they have to find out what they have in this quarterback? It's going to be really interesting to see what his playing time looks like when he gets back because, you know, Jordan Howard's been effective. Boston Scott has been effective. Kenny Gainwell has kind of been in the doghouse, but he's still here. I don't know that you're just, you know, not using him at all. Uh, So I don't know. It's really really weird to me because, again, you're you're having success right now, and I think some of that speaks to Jordan Howard and Boston Scott taking the yards that are there as opposed to trying to dance around. Now, you know, the benefit of obviously kind of being able to dance around like Miles Sanders can is he has that home run ability, as we saw, you know, in 2020 for sure, and being able to hit on those bigger plays. So there's some kind of some risk-reward there. But I think this offense, the way it's designed right now, 
maybe kind of can't afford that as much as they kind of just need people who kind of get consistent yards and keep the chains moving and keep the offense on schedule so they're not getting into third and longs and then asking the quarterback, you know, to complete uh, tougher passes regularly. Um, so he's going to have a role. Obviously, it's Miles Sanders. He's the top running back on the team. I just I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I have to imagine it's not going to be the same one in terms of uh, the looks he was getting or percentage-wise because he wasn't getting a ton, obviously, because Steelers weren't running the ball when he was healthier. But I can't imagine, like, you know, he's just getting 100% of the workload with the way Jordan Howard and Boston Scott are playing. All right, BLG, you have every right to change your mind between now and Sunday's kickoff, and people should be on Bleeding Green Nation all week long. Be it either the written word, podcast, whatever else, to get Brandon's up-to-date belief on the upcoming game. And we're going to ask you days in advance, but give you the right to change your mind between now and then. You don't even have to make a pick. Just tell me which way you're leaning between <laughs> the Broncos and the Eagles going into th- uh, the game on Sunday in Denver. I'm leaning towards the Eagles, and it's not necessarily about a supreme confidence in them as it is. I don't think the Broncos are uh, as good as one might think they are after beating the Cowboys. I think that was kind of, you know, like the very best game they can put together. I don't think that's like their normal game. Um, also, the Cowboys have been owned by the Broncos, haven't beat them since 1995. So there's something about it where the Broncos just own that team. Um, and the Cowboys obviously had their very worst game. So I think that was just kind of, uh, I don't think that's indicative necessarily of what's to come as it was just a bad week for the Cowboys and a really good week for the Broncos. I think Teddy Bridgewater is not anything super special at quarterback. And uh, I think the Eagles defense has been able to, uh, as we've mentioned, kind of handle those quarterbacks that aren't the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. That's not to say I know they're going to shut them down, but I think they can at least, you know, hang with Teddy Bridgewater. And then I think the offense will be really interesting to Steve from the standpoint of this Broncos run defense is the toughest one they've faced since they've started really committing to the run more, you know, certainly better than the Lions and the Chargers run defense. So uh, if the Broncos are able to stop the run, can Jalen Hurts pick up the slack? That's, you know, a big question that I will be uh, looking to see answered this weekend. But overall, again, I just don't think the Broncos are that great of a team. Um I know their record, you know, five and four makes them look, I think it makes them look a little bit better than they really are. So I'm leaning with the Eagles here. All right. Is there any truth to the rumor that if the Eagles do win this week, you will put that leopard skin lampshade over your right shoulder, over your head (laughs) and do some serious dancing at club BLG. (laughs) Can't confirm or deny. (laughs) Well, we can confirm. Absolutely. Every time you come on the show, you bring uh, opinion and insight. Thanks, Brandon. We will talk to you again soon. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Take it easy, guys. Brennan Lee Gowton, Bleeding Green Nation. Always good when he hops aboard. Birds 365. All right, Kerr McDonald coming back. No lampshades for either of us. Sunday, the final segment of B. It's just not happening. Neither one. We have to keep the, the shiny look we got going. Uh, Kerr McDonald coming back here on Birds 365 to put a bow on the show. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. 
free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first time purchase of stateside vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Basketball is part of how we grew up in this city. And every morning, IBEW Local 98 members take their best shot building this city, rescuing our community from decay and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are, like the Hawks who will never die. Local 98 members love tradition. John Doherty, business manager of Local 98, says it this way, the best way not to forget where you come from is to never leave. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Brandon and Captain Profit on. Jay Mack was with us uh, way back hour number one. He'll be back here tomorrow with me at 8 o'clock if he passes his COVID test, which we assume whether he passes or not. He's going to go down the road of immunization, whether he actually had the back. We'll get John McMona. We'll put a mask on him. We'll make sure that he's here tomorrow, no matter what, where he needs to broadcast from. All right, last couple of minutes, uh, J.K. A lot has been made of the fact that the Eagles have had quarterbacks complete 80% of their passes against them this year. It's tragic how easily teams complete passes against the Philadelphia Eagles. I want to go one further than that because completion ration percentages can be a little deceiving. In the case against Eagles this year, they've not been deceiving. They've been right on point. But they can be deceiving if you're just going to dump it off, dump it off the, what do you call, Charlie Checkdown earlier. And, and that is a possibility. So instead, I'm going to look at yards. Will Teddy Bridgewater throw for over 300 yards against the Eagles this week? No. 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 He'll have a high completion rate, but I don't think he throws for 300. Okay. So uh, you're thinking uh, Jerry Judy doesn't make a back-breaking play. The Jonathan's Cannon defense will do what it does, not give up those big plays. I'll say, Teddy Bridgewater throws for 300 yards. Jonathan Gans should just go up to the podium and send Nick Sirianni Sunday night because the Eagles are going to lose if that happens. I'm sorry. Like, Denver runs the ball too much with Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Oh, by the way, the Eagles got 
stop them too. That that's going to be an issue. But Teddy, I don't think he throws for three hundred. I think he has a high completion rate because that's just the what the Eagles' defense is. And then he has thrown for twenty one hundred yards so far this year, which is not a jump off the page type number. Fourteen touchdowns, five interceptions. Also, not a jump off the page type number. But he did have a real good game against the Cowboys last week, in which they they dominated uh, the game. Didn't he see does that coming. every once in a while too? Yeah, he, he does do that. It's you, you, it's how can I put Teddy Bridgewater? He has one of those games where you're like, oh, I can see why he was a first round pick. Oh, why did the Panthers get rid of him? Or you know, I honestly do think the Panthers made a mistake. You know, getting rid of Teddy Bridgewater for Sam Darnold. I, I thought Teddy Bridgewater was better, but they just didn't like. Him. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking at it right here, right now. It's game log. Only two of the nine games so far this year at over 300 yards uh, against Jacksonville way back in week number two and then had a big game. And, again, they lost against Vegas, but he threw for over 300 yards. Even a Dallas game, I was surprised. I thought it was more than that, only 249 yards. So, he um, needs to throw for 300, though. That game was over in the fourth early in the fourth quarter. They did run it right down the Cowboys' throat. So shame on them defensively. We'll see if the Eagles can uh, be better because I think they'll come in with the same game plan, try and run it first, and then open things up for uh, uh, Bridgewater, which hopefully is exactly the way the Eagles look at it as too as well. Uh, start with the run and then expand the pass. I think that Nick Sirianni is still looking for that perfect balance number. Will it come this weekend against the Broncos? We shall see. We'll talk more about it in the upcoming days here on Bridge 365. Tomorrow, uh, note in advance. Buddy of mine, Brandon Cristal, who is a radio reporter for the Broncos, uh, used to be my producer at two different outlets coming through. He's become a real good uh uh, Bronco reporter on the air in Denver. He's going to join us to give us a certain Denver perspective for the upcoming game uh, this week. So you want to be here tomorrow on Birds 365. Jeff Kerr, as always, outstanding job jumping into the fray. Thank you much for doing so. Uh, we will talk to you again soon enough, my friend. Always a pleasure, Jody. Uh, yeah, I, I guess next time you'll see me will be what? Next Monday, McMullen will be coming home? Uh, that's right. He's on the road. Denver is a tough trip. So you and I Monday uh, if you want to uh, check in on the show, we'll uh, see if we get it. Are you ready to give a tentative score? Like I said, the BLG, a leaning is good enough as far as I'm concerned. On a Wednesday, you don't have to make a pick. You got to make a lean. Which way are you leaning? I'm leaning toward the Eagles. I, I'm i like BLG. I think, I think Denver's a better team than he thinks, but I think this is a game that, again, if the quarterback plays well, I think the Eagles do win this one uh, by – probably seven or 10 points. It's going to be a tough game for them, but the Eagles do seem to play better on the road. And sooner or later, they got to be an AFC team. They haven't been an AFC team since week eight against the Bills in 2019. It's got to happen something. Wow. They were over the AFC last year. They were over the, they are 0 eight and one in their last nine games. Against I did AFC. not it's realize. One of the longest streaks in, in NFL history. It's, that is, uh, that is pretty sad. All right, let's open this week. Uh, Jeff, we'll get the pick from you later on in the week. Thank you for doing this today. Thanks to everybody who watched. We'll be back in 22 hours with more birds. 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done.